Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The race is on, and Lewis Hamilton made it three out of four with victory in a thrilling Spanish Grand Prix. But was it a race Max Verstappen and Red Bull should have won, or did Mercedes always have the edge? I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to discuss another gripping Formula One race are Scott Mitchell and Mark Hughes. The Race F1 podcast is brought to you by Escapade Living. Escapade is redefining the race experience through the integration of hospitality, track access and lifestyle. Escapade Silverstone will overlook the famous Cops, Maggots and Beckett's complex and offer the ultimate private space that can be enjoyed with friends and family. It heralds a new era of motorsport adventures. To find out more, go to escapadeliving.com. No hyphens, just escapadeliving.com. Well, Mark, let's just get a big number out of the way, shall we, this weekend. 100 pole positions for Lewis Hamilton. A ridiculously high number. It seems landmark and significant because we like base 10 and 100 is a nice nice round. Ridiculous achievement, really, isn't it? Yes. And, um, you know, how would you even begin to sort of put them in any sort of order of merit? You can remember the outstanding ones. You remember Singapore. You remember uh, that one in the wet last year at um, the the, the Styrian Grand Prix um, and, and a few others. But but then, you know, it's just a blur. It's just this blur of enormous achievement. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, I, it, I'm always very reluctant to say that will never be beaten, but I feel quite confident in saying that will never be beaten in my lifetime. Yeah, a subtle difference there. It, it is a massive number and requires an amazing set of circumstances, not just a quite brilliant driver, which Lewis Hamilton clearly is, but also the opportunity to rack up that number. But, Scott... I think you asked Lewis about what it meant to him and he couldn't really work it out. So what does it mean to you? <laughs> yeah, well, um, I, I'm just uh, like like I am with a lot of what he's achieved, what Mercedes is, has achieved and I guess what we see in other sports as well. I, I'm just quite, I feel, just feel quite privileged to actually be here to, to, to see it happen because I think just appreciating something like that being achieved is, is a huge part of what's so enjoyable about, about sport. And so when I, when I, asked Lewis about it I said you know normally he's not taken aback by stats he's not one for statistics and obviously he's broken countless records I want they probably all blur into one as well but there is something about the the century isn't there and and I likened it to you know a a cricketer uh, who who hits a century of runs or a Premier League footballer who joins the 100 goal club it it just there's something about it that 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 matters and yeah now after qualifying on Saturday, Hamilton could uh, 
raised the metaphorical back, couldn't he? he? He's hit his century of poles, and it's just yeah. What echo what Mark said? I I, I can't I can't see myself living through this again, which is one of the reasons why I'm so keen to just enjoy it while it's happening. It's one of those things that will probably be beaten one day because records tend to be, but you just can't see a pathway for how it can possibly happen. An amazing achievement. It is a privilege, no matter which driver, to see great drivers performing at their best. That is what Formula One is all about. So just great to be able to to enjoy it and appreciate it. And even for those who aren't necessarily fans of Lewis Hamilton, I think there's every reason to give him a quick applause as he raises his metaphorical Formula One car-based bats. But let's get on to the race. Now, Scott, normally we start with Mark's look at the bigger picture of how the race was won, but let's just zero in on a moment at the start of the race. First corner, another big moment in the Hamilton versus Verstappen battle. So what did you make of that moment? Well, first of all, obviously, it continues this amazing 100% record we've got uh, of these two going wheel-to-wheel in every race so far this season, which is just just phenomenal. Um, This one, I felt, was the strongest or... hardest one hardest move yet it was an escalation in what we've seen so far I still think it was just about in the realms of what's acceptable it was very aggressive from Verstappen Hamilton had a decision to make in in the moment does he commit to to his line knowing that Verstappen's speed into the corner is almost certainly going to end in contact which Hamilton wouldn't have been responsible for causing or does he live to fight another day and accept that Max has launched one that, that it's not worth getting in the way of. And obviously, as we know, Hamilton chose the latter. I think it was a I think it was an excellent judgment call from him. There may come a moment later in the year where he decides actually playing the odds, it's better to just turn in and and, and give Max something to think about. But I I, I've, I I think it was I think it was just about just about okay. And the fact that Hamilton obviously went on to 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 hound Verstappen and, and ultimately win meant that um, Lewis could probably reflect on it quite positively as well. I, I think it was very, very hard racing. And because Max was up against someone like Lewis, it came off and it was okay. Lewis said after the race that he's not a driver that gets involved in those incidents. He didn't need to have a have a collision. The really interesting thing, though, is if this just keeps happening, there's bound to come a reckoning, isn't there? A moment when Hamilton isn't willing to cede a little bit and maybe wants to lay down a marker in, in the sand. Do you think... Mark, that's almost inevitable, given the current rates. Another 19 races of this, there's going to be a point where he might think, particularly when we get down to the the real run-in for the title, where he might need to be much more aggressive and not be the one that that gives that little bit of extra space. Yeah, no, with Lewis, it depends on the situation he's in. Um, With Verstappen, it's much more binary. This is just how he does it. Um, uh, If it's a 50-50 situation, then he's got right of way. Um, That's how he, he approaches it. Lewis is more sort of um, more global in, in how he does it. Um, we've seen him avoid a, an accident um, a couple of years ago. Monza with Leclerc when Leclerc got a little bit out of order. Um, Lewis would have been perfectly entitled to keep his line and have the accident, um, but he, he chose not to because he was chasing the world championship. And he said then, "No, if it, you know, I, I asked what would you have done if the championship hadn't been at stake if he'd already won it." And he, just, he said, oh, "I just stayed exactly where I was, and we'd have had an accident." Which is, you know, perfectly a uh, legitimate way of going racing as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't think uh, Max was out of order on this occasion. I thought it was fine. It was hard. Um, and when you, the, one of the fascinating things about this race is that when you trace it back, that move of Max won Lewis the race because of the way that the um, the two cars uh, work their tires. Uh, when you work it all backwards, you come to that point 
of um, non-contact. And it's when that is the moment that Verstappen lost the race in hindsight. Such is the way these races pan out. And although we had to wait a little bit longer for what feels like an almost inevitable moment of irresistible force meeting a movable object, which will be uh, quite a spectacular battle between those two. But how exactly did Mercedes plot its course to victory from there then, Mark? Mercedes suspected that this probably would be a one-stop race. Everybody else, including Red Bull, was absolutely sure it was going to be a one-stop. Last year was a two-stop, but last year was held in sweltering August. Um, but and, and traditionally in the May, the, the, the traditional uh, slot in the calendar that this one is, it's usually a one-stop. Um, Mercedes wasn't sure because they'd seen signs in 2019 that in this wasn't an easy one-stop. So let's just plan around having the flexibility of... of um, you know, being able to to move that way um, if if required, with Bahrain very much in mind. And you recall how they one of the key components to beating Red Bull there was them selecting um, two sets of the the harder tyre, whereas Red Bull just had one set and uh, one of the soft. Exactly the same here. They did the same here. Merck had two uh, sets of mediums available. Red Bull only one, which wouldn't have mattered if it had been a one stop. Uh, but it did matter because it it, it sort of um, migrated towards a two-stop. And what I was referring to earlier on um, about Max leading the first stint, um, ending up being his downfall, was that once he was in the lead, he set a pace that was not, in hindsight, appropriate for a one-stop. It was appropriate for the sort of um, deg it would have been appropriate for a, a one-stop for the sort of deg levels that we'd seen on Friday, but today they were much higher. And because he set off like that, um, he guaranteed the race became a two-stop um, because Lewis went with him, and that built up such a gap over the others, um, apart from Bottas, who was obviously playing on, on for Lewis's on Lewis's side. Um, that it later allowed Lewis the gap to drop into to do the Budapest 2019 trick of coming out of mud half um, with much faster tyres with a lot of laps still to go. And it sort of trapped Verstappen into that role. But the Red Bull has generally got a higher degradation rate than, than the Mercedes. It switches its tyres on faster, um, which is a, a boon around the outlaps, in and outlaps. But um, the... It, it, it does eat them up faster as well. And that was that was the story of this race. So when Max says, we had a slower car, yes, they did, but not over a single lap. Over a single lap, there was nothing in it. But over a stint, yeah, the, the Red Bull was definitely slow. Andrew Shovelin sort of described it as the sort of emerging trend looks like Mercedes cars a bit more neutral in terms of it, it, it doesn't stress either axle. Um, whereas, obviously, as, as Mark was just explaining there, it looks like over a, a race stint, especially, the Red Bull does. And, I think that it's hard to say the writing was on the wall because obviously this Barcelona and track position is so important, but the longer Hamilton was able to hang on during that first stint, basically just glued to the gearbox of the Red Bull, it's difficult not to watch that and think, well, the, 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 the Merck's got this because every other year we're here, and you saw it further down the order as well, you see cars really, really struggling to stay close. And I know that Hamilton has got this almost freakish gift of being able to to, to drive behind other other cars and, and not struggle so much. I, I, I just thought it was really, really telling, uh, a good sign of that Merc, fundamental Merc advantage in race trim. 
that he was able to do that. And ultimately that set him up, didn't it, to deploy the flexibility that Mercedes earned itself on the strategy. Now, here's a question on strategy, because I was saying to you during the race, Scott, that I felt Mercedes should have taken that opportunity after Max Verstappen had made the uh, the initial stop. And then, of course, they left Hamilton out rather than bringing him in on the following lap. It looked like they could probably have brought him in and got him back out ahead because obviously Verstappen's stop was a little bit slow. And I think that was a valid way to to win the race because if you get trap position, they, they'd still have been able to win. They'd have had tyre parity at that point. But it was an interesting question as to whether that would have worked as well. But also there is the question of exactly what happened with that Red Bull pit stop. You asked Max Verstappen about exactly what went on there because there seemed to be some uncertainty about whether he was meant to stop or expected, which led to that loss of a couple of seconds in the pit stop. Yeah, well, basically there was a there was a suggestion, I think, that I think it came from uh, Helmut Marko who said that Rebel hadn't been expecting Verstappen to stop. So I um, I quickly went back onto Max's onboard and watched the three laps up to his pit stop and he never he, he didn't ever get a call to box. Um so I don't know if they had some kind of agreement uh, pre-race or there was some kind of hidden meaning to one of the other messages that was relayed. And that meant that he knew on this lap, I will need to pit. But basically there was a misunderstanding because Red Bull wasn't ready for him. And I think it was at the left rear, I think, that was, uh, I think one of the rear tyres, I think, wasn't out quick enough, basically. They, they, they recovered it quite well, I think. If you've got a car come in for a pit stop and you're not expecting it and you ultimately do that pit stop in four seconds or whatever it was, that's still a pretty good pretty good effort, isn't it? But yeah, basically just a just a small error, ultimately. Um, and I know that didn't cost them anything at the time. Um, and I don't know whether this is correct because obviously I don't have the data they have, but Shovelin said that basically by the time Hamilton got to turn 10, after Max had stopped, they felt that they weren't going to come out ahead so they didn't want to just replicate the first stint, basically. So they they, they kept him out. Um, and ultimately, that then set them on a course where Hamilton extends his stint by a few laps. So when he does come out, he's obviously a few seconds behind. So it didn't cost for Stappen track position. But it is another error, isn't it, that Red Bull has made. And, and it could have been costly. And no, nobody's doing a perfect job at every race. And Hamilton... I've, be sort of banging this drum until basically the title's decided. Hamilton got away with an enormous mistake at Imola. So it's not that Mercedes is perfect and Red Bull sucks, but there is definitely a trend now of Red Bull and Verstappen between them leaving things on the table. And they, they, they got away with that one there. And then ultimately they didn't have the performance anyway. Uh, so I, I think it is something that they need to work out because every weekend there just seems to be a little thing that they're, they're not getting quite right. Ultimately, as you say, if, if Shovelin's correct and they have some quite good live tools, they certainly shouldn't have stopped if there wasn't a good chance of getting Hamilton out. But Mark, you felt that maybe Verstappen, actually, even though that pit stop did cost time, might actually have been fairly well judged by him, even if he wasn't expected. Yeah, the the tyres fell off, basically, on, on that on that lap. So he lost four-tenths the previous lap after having been really consistent up to that time. And you could see, yeah, the tyres are beginning to go, but then apparently they really went on the, on, the, on the next lap. And it was partway through that lap that whatever signal had been arranged, he, he told them. So he's, you know, effectively, I'm coming in this lap. So I, it, I don't think it, you'd call it a mistake as such. It was just they got caught out by how sudden the, the, the drop-off was. Well, whatever, you can certainly say it was a great battle at the front and fascinating, as you say, Mark, that you can trace it all the way back to what seemed like a very, very good thing for Verstappen at the first corner would actually set the race on a path 
for Hamilton and Mercedes to win it the way that they did. Well, Scott, we talked about one Red Bull driver. We haven't talked about the other one. Sergio Perez finished fifth from eighth on the grid. He was kind of missing from qualifying, wasn't he? What went wrong there? Uh, well, he had a well, basically a mystery shoulder problem that he said he started to feel some kind of he had some kind of complaint in in one of his shoulders at the start of Q1 that he said then got worse as qualifying progressed. But he didn't know where he'd come from because he said he didn't think he'd done anything out of the car. But he also didn't say yes, and there was something sticking out of my seat, or there was something wrong with the seat that was causing him a physical discomfort in the car. So it was a bit weird, and it was just he 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 didn't look he didn't look comfortable when we spoke to him after qualifying. So he said that was his uh, most difficult, uh, his worst um, qualifying session so far. Yeah, remember he got knocked out of Q two in in Bahrain, so he was um, I, I think it was physically hurting and. Uh, he had a spin on his first run in, in Q3, so just a really horrible qualifying session. And then once you're starting there, down there in uh, Barcelona, you're 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 fundamentally limited. So um, unfortunately, it was a case of of damage limitation for him individually. But Mark's probably in a better place to explain how big a loss that meant he was for Red Bull in terms of Verstappen's race at the front. Yeah, it was significant because. Um, he just he wasn't there, so that that meant he was stuck. I mean, he was stuck behind Ricardo's McLaren, wasn't he, in sixth place? So it meant that that gap was there for Hamilton to drop into. So he could do he could do that um, strategy. Um, and otherwise, if Perez had been right there, and he would have dropped behind Perez by making a second stop, then he couldn't have made it. So um, Bottas was always in the in the window. Um, if Verstappen had wanted to do it, Bottas was always there. So he was a, a you know a, a, a very useful part of the the overall strategy of the team, but um, Perez's um, yeah I think he started eighth and he qualified eighth, ran sixth. So you know you soon fall a long way behind when you're um, at, at the pace of a, a McLaren and there's a Red Bull and Mercedes out front. So yeah, it meant he couldn't really contribute to the overall uh, you know, attempt at winning the race. Yeah, and, and fifth place was a reasonable result in the end from that position but it just shows how important it is for those second drivers to be in play over the radio I think Bono mentioned to Hamilton it was like Hungary 2019 and if you remember a key element there was that Hamilton and Mercedes could take that free pit stop because Gasly wasn't far enough up the road to be in the pit window and same thing this time and it shows how important it is for that second driver but we should talk about the other Mercedes second driver Mark because Bottas was sort of in the mix not not fully in the battle for the top two but he was at least there in in pit windows but there was a really interesting moment on lap 52 when Hamilton came up to pass Bottas for a second didn't impact the result but it did briefly hinder Hamilton's chase of Verstappen actually ended up losing three tenths to Verstappen on that lap what did you make of that it seems that it's not even necessarily what he did for the move in turn 10 but just the fact he didn't let him go that little bit earlier in the lap yeah I mean he ideally would have um he would have let him go down the down the main straight into turn one um, but there's a couple of things. One, Lewis didn't quite manage to get DRS on him, so he wasn't he wasn't quite within a, a tenth um, on, the, on the detection point. And the other thing is, Bottas was trying to pull out enough time over Leclerc to be able to do his second stop and emerge in front. So there was two things going on there, and it's very difficult, you know, to judge. You know, is, is a guy um, the nine tenths behind? Is he going to? Where is he going to be? Um, how much do I have to lift off uh, when, when you're in the middle of? trying to open out your own gap. So there was that. Um, and it, when, when you looked at how much it actually cost Hamilton, it was about six-tenths, I think. Or, no, it was 1.6. Um, but it's, you know, in the end, it, it, didn't, it didn't impact didn't impact the result at all. 
I think it was uh, I think it was not ideally handled either because Hamilton said afterwards he didn't know that Bottas was had been told not to hold him up. So that meant that Hamilton was having to make his own judgment about the body language of the car in front. And if you're doing that, you, that means at some stage, unless Bottas does <clears throat> quite literally exit stage right or stage left, then Hamilton's got to make a guess on what Bottas is doing, which then leads to him potentially taking a risk to launch an overtake and them tripping up over one another. So that that probably could have been handled a little bit better with a, an explicit message to say, Valtteri, you need to let Lewis pass. Don't hold Lewis up, let him pass here. And then a message to Lewis to say, Valtteri will let you pass at turn X. And that didn't happen. But I, I have to admit, at the time, I I did feel quite strongly that it was a bit of Valtteri wanting to prove a point, basically, and, and make make it just needlessly difficult on on reflection, maybe I sort of soften that stance a little bit because I do have sympathy that he had his own race. So I would probably revise my initial opinion and say that this was more Bottas being aware that he had to play the team game, but not going out of his way to do it. I think the point you make about the team could have been more explicit is important. And we've seen loads of teams do this because they don't want to be played around the world on the radio saying, let them pass because it's team orders. You get all these sort of coded messages. Oh, don't hold him up this, that and the other. Just say it. Just make it really clear. Look, this is critical for for our our race to victory. Make sure you don't cost them any time because you look more stupid if they crash, don't you? Because <laughs> yeah. they've not had a clear instruction than you do by telling you telling them don't crash, let him through. And never give drivers <laughs> plausible deniability because they will use it. Bottas, after all, wants to show that he's a serious contender. He wants to. He he might be needing to show to other teams that he's a guy that they want because he's got that fight. Because he, if Mercedes don't keep him, he's still a great option for other teams for next year. So he's he's got to think of himself a little bit. And if you give him that leeway, ultimately it didn't matter in the grand scheme of things. But an interesting little little moment. But Scott, let's uh, look a little bit further down. Ferrari was the closest challenger to Mercedes and Red Bull both in qualifying in the race. That's the first time that's happened this year on both days of a weekend. Charles Leclerc, great fourth place. Ed Perez, how upbeat do they seem to be about their performance level now? Yeah, very, um, very happy with uh, the the race performance in, in in particular. We've 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 seen in every qualifying session so far that that car is is quick over one lap. It, it has been the third fastest car over over one lap, but it has often faded in the race or at least been outgunned by McLaren. But there was something about it here that the Ferrari was just working very well, and the the McLaren didn't quite seem to have the rear grip. To, to challenge it Lando Norris was sort of saying that basically when when the Ferrari's chasing a little bit which they have done in previous races they end up basically overworking the tires um trying to keep up with the McLaren basically which then allows the McLarens to run their own race um whereas it was almost roles reversed here the McLarens didn't quite have what Ferrari had and actually Leclerc was able to just basically disappear over the course of um over the course of the race a crushing victory in that midfield fight um did a tremendous job to uh to mug Bottas he made Bottas look quite silly on the first lap actually Bottas admitted that he just basically hadn't noticed that Leclerc was that close behind him and, and got done around the outside of turn three and then Leclerc held him behind for a while and because Perez was obviously making his way through but chiefly because Leclerc had that performance and didn't have the tyre problems that they've suffered at other races was able to keep quite comfortably clear of the the, the, the Red Bull as well. So it was, um, I think it, it, it was really good. And if you look at sort of how much this team has progressed on last year, I know we were expecting them to make a step. But if you remember after testing and going into Bahrain, we weren't massively convinced that they were in a position to be properly third best. 
And they were sort of saying on Friday, Saturday in Bahrain for the Grand Prix that they were expecting to struggle a little bit more, which indicated that they weren't expecting to be a clear third best either. Now, for the first time, they had the third fastest car in qualifying, the third best car in the race. And they do they looked every inch here like a team that is ready to sort of hold their own as third best. So I think it's going to be a brilliant fight with McLaren for at least the next few races to see who's who's got the edge. And Mark, we also saw another very fine Charles Leclerc qualifying performance. It's an interesting one because he didn't get through Q1 on one set of tyres. So he only had one run on the fresh softs in Q3. And in the worst conditions, he managed to get ahead of his teammate Carlos Sainz in particular, who had two sets of, uh, of fresh softs. And I think even though Carlos outqualified him in those strange conditions in Portugal, he's great at adapting. I think Carlos has got a real battle on his hands when it comes to that that Saturday performance that Leclerc has. And of course, that made the difference in the race. Leclerc fourth, signed a good run to seventh, but obviously not as strong as his teammate in the end. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the fact that um, Carlos, he, he, he got within, what was that, I think, a tenth um, of, of Leclerc. I think that um, says pretty much that he's, um, he's, he's made great progress in adapting to the car. So I think... Um, if he's at that stage already, I think he's doing very well because Leclerc is uh, one of the very quickest guys out there um, on his day, the quickest, I think. So, yeah, um, I think Carlos has made great progress. He's, he's taken the competition, you know, the internal competition to, to Charles. And um, I think uh, it, it's, a, it's a healthy competition as well. They're very respectful of each other. And um, as we touched on last time, they, they, they've got different approaches, but I think that gives the team um, a greater bandwidth. Yeah, and just a cracking lineup all round in terms of the skill sets, abilities, execution. That's really going to put them in good stead. If they are in this fight for third in the constructors' championship, which certainly all the evidence says they are, that lineup's going to work really well for them. And in that battle, of course, is McLaren Scott. You've been following Daniel Ricciardo's progress very closely this weekend. Perhaps a little fortunate to outqualify Norris, but the performance is definitely coming for him, as shown by the sixth place in the race. And you've looked very in great deal of detail at how he's been chipping away and what the limitation he's been working to eliminate is yeah sometimes it's just nice to be able to um utilize and this isn't a this isn't one of the adverts but in in f1 tv you do have a great resource in being able to ride on board with any of the drivers so sometimes I, i quite like to pick one driver and follow them for as far into the weekend as i can and with ricardo that was every lap he did in practice and every lap in qualifying as well and it was because he earmarked this weekend as a sort of, he said no excuses uh, because it's a known quantity, grippier track, more settled conditions. So a chance to actually work out where he is and where he needs to improve. And he started the weekend struggling. I know that McLaren had a lowly Friday because they were uh, evaluating the new front wing and the new floor, but they didn't have a lot of performance. And Ricardo in particular was struggling quite a lot. And I, there was so much live in-car coaching from... Tom Stallard is engineer. You just don't. We, we always hear things like, "I'll oh, try this gear at this corner," or te- "Break ten meters later at turn one," or the, all these kind of things. But I've never heard anything on the radio like the amount of brake pressure coaching that Ricardo was getting, being told that he's uh, there's too much brake pressure in phase three. Need to apply more brake pressure in phase one. Having it described as you know, try to create a more stabby brake profile. So basically. He was being told, try and put more brake pressure on on the entry to the corner, get off the brakes earlier, because basically he was inducing understeer into the car. And and this was pretty much after every single run through practice and even into qualifying. 
which to me said that Ricardo is is quite clearly having to consciously think about adjusting his braking technique, which again, in addition to being an intense level of in-car coaching that I personally haven't heard to that degree before, it's a very fundamental skill or technique for an F1 driver to still be, to be in a position where they're, they're not doing it automatically. And to, to hear that I was absolutely fascinating. I got Ricardo to, to talk about it after qualifying and also got technical director James Key's perspective from, from a technical side. And there'll be a piece on the race website between now and Monaco sort of diving into that in more detail. But what that showed to me was I think Ricardo's got tremendous humility to be able to to take that on and he sort of described it as basically feeling like he's back at school and having a tutor saying, yep, good job, you've done that well, now how about you try to do this a little bit better? Okay, you've done that a little bit better, now could you try and work on this? And ego could get in the way there as an F1 driver, could be, feel a bit embarrassing and feel like he turns his nose up and says, no, I know what I'm doing, but there's none of that. He's He's getting his head down, he's doing the work that he needs to do. That was shown with constant progress through practice. He did a good job in qualifying yes perhaps a bit lucky to out qualify Norris but he got the, the performance was very close and then he drove an, an outstanding race um he, he got he grabbed a couple of positions early on um and he he just did a, a really solid job thereafter never looked like slipping down the, the the top 10 quite enjoyed pushing the car to the limits and just I, I thought it was his best drive of the season so far and and uh, he felt the same it's interesting you mentioned Tom Stallard, his race engineer. I'm always impressed with the way he works with drivers. Everything I hear about him and what I've heard, obviously, he worked with Carlos Sainz before, Stoffel Van Dorn, Jensen Button. The standard fact about him, and, and why not have this as a standard fact? Because it is quite remarkable. He's an Olympic silver medalist, uh, rower at the 2008 uh, Olympics. But I, I think he works really well with drivers. And I think that race engineer driver dynamic is so interesting. And it, it's, it's great to see it, it working and the detail that they go to. And very impressed overall. Mark, Lando Norris, for the first time, not best of the rest. Obviously, he basically ended up in a traffic jam, didn't he? So just one of those weekends for him. He had a bit of bad luck in qualifying with uh, that Mazepin blocking incident, which maybe Mazepin was a little bit unlucky to get a punishment for because he wasn't the only one in that queue, although he did go. But that led to him using the two sets in, in Q1, which cost him down the line in Q3. But just just one of those annoying Sundays for, for Lando, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, he would have been... Deeply impressive if he just pulled out the mega lap on that one Q3 uh, run on new tyres that he had, but it didn't quite happen. Um, but his potential pace was, um, he'd shown a, earlier in the weekend in the practices, um, he's potentially, I think, maybe a, maybe a tenth ahead of Ricciardo. So, yeah, he would have been up, up there where you'd normally expect to see him, I think, had he had a, a clear run. Yeah, eighth place in the end for him, obviously chasing down the uh, the ailing on very old tyres, Esteban Ocon, in the closing stages of the race. Well, let's talk about Alpine now, Mark. Mixed bag for them, with Esteban Ocon fifth on the grid, but only finishing ninth. Fernando Alonso down in 17th in the race, having started 10th. But given they both tried to make one-stoppers work, although Alonso eventually aborted his with a very late pit stop once the tyres fell off a cliff, it was probably more encouraging than the race results suggest in terms of pace, wasn't it? Absolutely. I mean, we wondered if the Portimao thing was as a just um, a peculiarity of that very unusual um, track, and so this was more of a, a real test to see if that if that was genuine, and it absolutely was. They they absolutely bang on Ferrari's pace in qualifying. I think he separated from Ocon was separated from Leclerc by less than a tenth, half a tenth, maybe. 
Um, and I, yes, I think the disappointing race result was a result of um, being on the wrong strategy. They, they, they stuck with a one-stop plan and it just wasn't the appropriate plan. And um, yeah, Fernando is still struggling to put the Q3 lap together. He's absolutely nip and tuck, tuck as quick as Esteban when they're you know, in practice and when they're in a, in a, in a race stint in clear air. But yeah, just still not quite putting the, the pieces together on the, on the vital Q3 lap. That was actually quite a good drive from Ocon in the race, given those tyres, and he ended up well off the pace at the end of the race, but managed to hold on to to that position when he could easily have dropped out of the top ten. So uh, a decent effort from him. Scott's Alpha Tauri, difficult weekend for them, tenth place for Pierre Gasly in the end, but it all starts off a bit badly for him with a, some fairly poor parking. <laughs> um, yeah. Normally, when you see a message flash up that a driver's under investigation for an out of position start. It's pretty slam dunk, isn't it? It's it's like speeding in the pit lane or or something. You just there's not really going to be any interpretation of that that lets the driver off. But normal, I say normally, that it is it is quite easy for those to be sort of shrugged off as well. These cars are they must be impossible to see the grid slot. So I often have a lot of sympathy for drivers who don't quite line up perfectly. And then I saw the onboard of Pierre's effort of getting his car in position, and it was just it was just inexplicably bad. He just basically drove past it so he uh and he knew it was silly he he knew that he'd made a stupid error and and he was really annoyed at himself for for, for doing it so um yeah I, I i he wasn't laughing and the team wasn't laughing but it it was i have to say from my point of view it was quite comical to see him just sort of sail past the the, the grid position yeah and he ended up came so close to passing Ocon at the end. I think it was just under two tenths at, at the line. But yeah, just it's always annoying when a, a relatively trivial little error has a has such a big impact on the weekend. Five-second penalty, of course, it got him. But also, Scott, you wrote a piece about Yuki Tsunoda. He was uh, at it again over the radio after struggling a little bit in qualifying. And then, of course, his race didn't last very long. Anyway, it, it's amazing we've gone four races with him only picking up really that one result in Bahrain. Yeah, well, he's really highly rated, and, and this was kind of at the heart of what I wrote after qualifying because it wasn't, I didn't do it to dig him out or just you know pile onto him. He's a rookie; he's only four races in, and he's a very young guy, so um, he will only improve and he'll only get more mature. And plus, I do think another mitigating factor is um, while he is his English has come on leaps and bounds since he came over from Japan to race in Formula Three a couple of years ago, is still a weak fairly weak second language so I, I think we do need to cut him some slack but it's not the choice it's not always it's not necessarily the choice of words that that's becoming a bit frustrating now it's the fact that he it's clearly not that he's capable of the odd radio outburst it, it, I don't think he can control it I think when he gets frustrated I think he he rants and the thing I always find bizarre is that the the mics the radio is not always open if you say something in the crash helmet it doesn't get broadcast every time you have to activate the radio to be heard so even if it's automatic even if it's an an automatic response from him he makes on some level a conscious decision to let the team hear what he's saying so if he's venting that's one thing we hear other drivers doing it but he crossed the line in Spain this weekend because he criticized the car after he failed to get through and qualifying and then he he made that very ill-advised comment on television afterwards suggesting that maybe the cars weren't equal because he was struggling with performance and he just needs to stamp it out. He did apologise for that. Fair play to him um, for doing so. But he does need to get a, get a bit of control because he's got such fantastic potential and this is why we're all so excited about him and why 
Red Bull's so excited about him, but he it's not going to be a permanent thing, but he does risk risk spoiling it at the moment because the results aren't there. He's not hooking it all up and he's not endearing himself to many people inside the team or outside of it. If he spends more time or he's more known for being critical and complaining than he is drilling into what the problem is or, or you know, accepting responsibility. But one thing you obviously have to say is he's absolutely zero responsibility for what happened to him on Sunday when um, it just looked like his where the car just died on him, didn't it? He, 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 there was nothing he could have done there and there was no sweariness or nastiness over, over the radio. So no, nothing wrong on Sunday, just it was all localised to Saturday. Yeah, I get the impression, as you would expect for a rookie, he's just not really got scripts with getting the tyres working for that qualifying lap. It's very tricky, Barcelona as well, to do that. But numerous times we've heard him say no grip in qualifying and I suspect that was what it was down to. But also, Mark, Alfa Tauri, they look really good in the first two weekends. The last two haven't gone so well. So do we think they're, they're kind of slipping out of that that lead trio in the, in the midfield? Because it was them, McLaren and Ferrari, as the as the three standouts in the midfield. But Alpine seems to have swapped places with them almost. Yeah, indeed. It, it's very um, very stark, the, the, the difference port, Portimao here to the, the first two races. And um, it's, they weren't expecting to be very good in um, Portimao. Um, but they were expected to be good here. So that's a little bit worrying. Um, let's see if it's, a, um, if it's, if it's exposing something that's, that, that's fundamental or whether it's just they didn't, didn't hit the sweet spot of the car this weekend or, or what, but we'll, we'll see in subsequent races. But, um, yeah, it, it looks a long way away from the, the team that really on pace could go bat-to-bat you know, bat with Ferrari and McLaren in the first two races. Yeah, it's making those lack of results from the first two doubly costly, uh, you would argue. Uh, Aston Martin, talking of strugglers, we had standard issue moaning from team principal Otmar Safnar about how the regulations have hurt Aston Martin because they weren't implemented properly the way that they were decided. But given both drivers now had the floor upgrade, this race really does show how hard-pressed that team is to score now, doesn't it? Just outside the, the top 10 with, uh, with both drivers at the end of the race. Yeah, um, that's its level, isn't it? It's... It, 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 the the, up, the upgraded floor that was on Seb's car uh, this this race, which um, Lance had had on the, on the previous race, um, so it's now on both cars. I think that that is worth a, a genuine couple of tenths, and it did it did look that way. Um, but it's yeah, that's only just maintaining them in that sort of Q two Q three cutoff. It's it's a, a long way from where they were at with the uh, the pink Mercedes last year. So. Yeah, it, that, I mean, they, they say, you know, we, we hear the line about how the regulations have impacted more on the low-rate cars, and I'm sure that is true. I'm sure sure they have, and there are quite good technical explanations as to why that might have been. But, you know, we, we, we're seeing a Mercedes win three out of the first four races and be contenders everywhere. So it's not it's not impossible to, to make a, a low-rate car competitive. So they, it's, they're just a... You know, they're still a much smaller um, entity than Mercedes, and it's more difficult developing um, a, a concept from a difficult position than it is just assuming a, a ready-made quick car. And um, yeah, we, we're just seeing that play out, I guess. Yeah, it's going to be a long, hard season at this rate. Lance Stroll was 11th, Sebastian Vettel 13th. Either side of Kimi Raikkonen, it was 12th. Kimi Raikkonen had that reverse strategy, so we say he started on the mediums, went long. And then went to the softs. Pretty good result for, for an Alfa Romeo. The interesting one was George Russell in the Williams. 
I was sort of keeping an eye on Williams's progress as the race went on because it did become apparent they had half a chance of a uh, of, of a point in this race. Didn't happen because Russell's tyres fell off a cliff and he never managed to quite get past Alonso, who was the bottleneck there that he'd have needed to to do earlier to do it. But it, what I was quite impressed with is I may not have been on the money with my my live commentary on the the Mercedes strategy where I thought they should have taken that pit stop, but I was really impressed that they responded to the Alfa Romeo pit stop problem and brought both cars in and double stacked them under the safety car because that was basically a free position. They realised that they could pit, drop behind the two Hasses, who wouldn't have been a problem to repass anyway, but get ahead of Giovinazzi. And that was just the start of putting them on this this sort of semi-offset strategy, which I thought was really sharp from Williams and, and bodes well for them. But uh, less good for Alfa Romeo and Antonio Giovinazzi. A, uh, a damaged valve led to the fact they attempted to put a, a car that had lost pressure at car that had lost pressure a tire that had lost pressure onto the onto the front left and that really compromised his his race as well but yeah it's really hard work for these teams to get points though isn't it mark they really they really need a a smooth weekend to to be able to do it or a little bit of strategic unusualness yeah i mean the the competitive order is really quite clear it's quite clear which which teams are in which group so you got uh five teams um they're, they're going to fill up uh, if, if everything just goes on merit you got five teams are going to fill up the points places so yeah if you're outside of there it's it's it you know those two or three tenths deficit in qualifying you're never going to you're never going to grab them back unless there's some unusual circumstance um so you know the wet race or um an accident or something like that so yeah it is very very tough and 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 in this season in particular when you You'd, everyone's looking towards 2022, you'd think the chances of them developing their way into the next group up are, are pretty slim. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be pretty meagre pickings for those teams, I think, for the rest of this year. And just before we finish off, Scott, coming back round to where we began with the battle at the front, this this run of four races, it's kind of the first stanza of the, the championship battle. Three wins for Hamilton, one win for Verstappen, a 14-point lead in the championship for Hamilton and then of course Mercedes a healthy little lead in the uh, constructors championship as well it's been a really solid foundation for Mercedes and I think it shows how how strong a team and driver combination that is we've been talking about this when they've been dominant about how well they're executing but this has really shown even when they're pushed they've got a lot of tricks a lot of performance the ability to pull these results out of the bag consistently yeah, I, I hope that I hope that people are enjoying this and what what we're seeing as as, as much as I am because I, part of me does worry that because Hamilton and Mercedes have just kept on winning that that, that maybe what we're actually seeing is being lost a, a, a little bit because this is an awesome fight. We every I go into every weekend not really knowing who's going to be quickest. You go into qualifying and there's I think the last three qualifying sessions have been decided by hundreds, if not thousands, of a second, which is just that's phenomenal. As I said at the very beginning, we've got a 100% record at the moment this season with Hamilton and Verstappen going wheel to wheel. And Hamilton and Mercedes are having to dig deep in different ways to win. So we're seeing why Hamilton is the most successful driver statistically of all time. We're seeing why he should be regarded as one of the greatest of all time. And we're seeing why Mercedes has dominated this era the way it has. And it. And it has never tripped up because it is capable of rising to every challenge. Right now, we're seeing it rise to prob- probably the fiercest on-track challenge it's had. I know that the, the Ferrari fight got quite tasty at times, but I really do think that this is this is becoming quite a special season. And yeah, it looks like the Mercedes might have an edge on Sundays. I'm not going to say that makes it easier, but obviously it does set them up for these kind of performances. 
but it's just fascinating and I'm really, really enjoying it. It's so much more enjoyable to see a Mercedes, especially Hamilton, win when they've been made to work for it. And I think it's fair to say that every win they've scored this season, they have absolutely been made to work for it. Well, and as Mark always explains in his race analysis, it's tiny things that make the difference in this battle. And that's all we really ask for in a in a championship fight. Probably have to go back to 2012 for the last proper two-team fight for the championship with Alonso and Vettel. Yeah, Ferrari is sort of threatened at times, but they've never gone the distance. And so th- this is probably the best championship we've had for almost a decade based on a sample set of four out of maybe 23 races. Yeah, I think so. I think it's a, it's going to go down as, a, as one of the great seasons, the vintage season. Um, I, you, you were, we're a little early to, to, to really see the patterns after just four races, um, but I've, I, I'm not one to make predictions because just because you you're informed about something doesn't make you any any better at predicting than than just you know an averagely interested um, bystander really. But I think um, we're looking at Monaco, looking ahead to Monaco. Um, I've just got a feeling that the Red Bull is going to trounce the Mercedes around there. <laughs> not one, not one for predictions. But here's a massively bold prediction. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's why I prefixed it because I, I don't know. There are, there are, um, there is a sort of a, a, log, a logical sort of justification for it, um, which might not turn out to be the case. But um, I, I, have a, I have a feeling it will. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to because that's just going to put a slightly different complexion on it. And, because at the moment, three out of four for one of the teams and one out of four for the other does, it makes it sound w- way less evenly matched than it really is. And I think um, if if we can uh, assess it after Monaco, uh, see uh, where they, I think we'll have a much more realistic um, idea of where they really stack up. Well, that's a great thing this year. It is going to hopefully swing back and forth. And yeah, predictions are largely fairly pointless but the real value they have is it's if you have a model of what you think is going on comparing what happens against your expectations is a great way to try and learn a little bit more and that's what it's all about every race weekend we learn a little bit more about Mercedes and Red Bull we learn a little bit more about Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen and we're going to learn a hell of a lot more about them before this season is out so if you'd like to learn even more do head to the race.com and don't forget the hyphen loads to read there Mark Hughes race analysis my ever controversial driver ratings and also Scott Mitchell plenty of stuff there I think you're working on a piece on Lewis Hamilton's performance in the key pressure points so far this year if you haven't already done so make Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and if you're so minded leave a review on your podcast platform of choice and don't forget to have a look at our youtube channel just search for the race so with four races down and hamilton and verstappen crossing swords on track in every one of them really is turning into a season f1 has long been waiting for so stick with us on the race f1 podcast so you don't miss a thing